Welcome to the Backyard Teacher Podcast. I'm your host, Leanne, and I'm here to share early childhood activities, information and advice with educators who want the best for the kids in their care. Thanks so much for being here. Now let's get started. Welcome to the first ever Backyard Teacher Podcast episode. I'm so glad you're here. I want to start off by letting you know my plan for what I'll be sharing with you. I want to talk about what I'm programming each month for the group of kids that I work with who are between two and three years of age. And I also want to explain why I do the things I do, the research and pedagogy behind the units of work I do and the outcomes that I expect my kids to achieve. The why really matters to me. And as I look into the most up-to-date research, I'll share it with you here and on my blog. I think sometimes as educators, We know what activities to do, but we don't always know the why behind them. And that prevents us being able to transfer the skills and knowledge we have to other areas because we don't understand the whole picture. There's a few ways you can use the information from this podcast. You can just listen and take in what you're hearing. You can pop over to my blog at The Backyard Teacher and download my notes and any free activities from there. Or you can grab my whole units and integrate them into your program to save yourself some time and brain power in coming up with activities. Here in Australia, we follow the early years learning framework, which is like our early childhood curriculum. For my American and British friends, the EYLF has overarching themes of belonging, being and becoming. The document states... The framework forms the foundation for ensuring that children in all early childhood education and care settings experience quality teaching and learning. It has a specific emphasis on play-based learning and recognises the importance of communication and language, including early literacy and numeracy, and social and emotional development. The goal, according to the document, is that all young Australians become successful learners, confident and creative individuals, and active and informed citizens. Whether you work with the EYLF or not, I think we all have the same intention when working with young children, to help them thrive in a safe and healthy place. Well, so with the technicalities out of the way, let me talk you through what I'm teaching this month. Uh, This month, I'm teaching a unit called All About Me. That's a pretty common beginning of the year theme because with a new group of kids, we want to get to know them as quickly as we can and we want to help them get to know each other while also building a sense of community in our room. My All About Me unit has four main sections. Number one is me. Number two is people can be the same and also different. Number three is feelings. And number four is family. In the unit, I try to cover the main developmental areas, uh, language and literacy, numeracy, which both come under the umbrella of cognitive skills, fine motor skills, creativity, sensory play and social skills, which a lot of the activities in this unit address. Now, I have to confess, there's no STEM in this unit. I'm not great at STEM activities and I'm a bit embarrassed to say I generally just leave it out altogether. I kind of rely on my co-workers to cover that gap for me and I appreciate that so much if you guys are listening. Now learning about yourself is primarily a social thing. Learning who we are, how we fit into our world, our uniqueness and at the same time our connectedness to our social group. 
We want to teach our kids that they matter, both as an individual and as a member of an interconnected society. We all matter. We all have inherent value simply by existing. Now, I want to add that's not just some fluffy feel-good statement. I believe if we want our kids to grow into productive members of society, we need them to be strong, confident and capable. And the first step to getting there is helping them believe they can be strong, confident and capable. I guess in the beginning, it's a fake it till you make it kind of scenario. The kids will end up believing what they're told over and over. So it makes sense to start by telling them good things. It helps them do this by first looking at themselves at their characteristics and attributes. Now, some of us will have similar characteristics to each other. Some of us have brown hair, some have blonde, some are short, some are tall or thin or brown skinned. No characteristic is better than any other. They're just different. It can be tricky for kids to understand that sometimes we're alike and sometimes we're not and that it's okay either way. That's part of being a human. Now, the activity I use to help kids learn these things are pretty simple. I start talking about some of the more obvious characteristics like hair colour or height. We might make a simple graph or chart of all our heights and then talk about the ones that stand out a bit. Uh, talk about a couple of tall kids, a couple of shorter ones, some of the in-betweeners. Uh, we talk about the range of heights, how everyone is slightly different. Now, you notice at first doing this that the kids are only interested in their own height. Then they'll start to be interested in their friends' heights and then they'll gradually pay attention to the group as a whole. This pattern of learning is something that will happen over and over. The kids first focus on themselves then those closest to them, and then the group as a whole. That's how their brains work. It's like a group of concentric circles. When you program, you'll focus on what the individual child will see, and then you move outwards. So look at individual characteristics, and then compare and contrast within a small group, then move to a wider group. Another activity that's useful is a rainbow craft that I do. I write the child's name on a copied cloud and then I write things about them on coloured paper strips and we glue it underneath the cloud. There's a link to a quick video in the show notes if you'd like to see it or you can have a look at it on my blog. It's easy to make these yourself or you can print the template out. It's a little bit time intensive because you have to write on each strip for the kids but the few minutes it takes with each child is valuable time together. Kids get to share their preferences with you. They see you write them down in words. They start to see that their ideas can be turned into writing. It's one of the first concepts about writing that they learn, that we can make marks on paper to represent words. I bet you've seen a child write a letter or a shopping list or something and then pretend to read it. That simple thing is such a big step in literacy learning. It's another fake it till you make it thing and lots of early learning is. When you think about kids playing in the home corner or with dress-ups or something like that, that's what they're doing. They're practicing real life, rehearsing, trying it on like a costume. And by watching us write things for them and then pretending to write for themselves, that's what they're doing, practicing. It's a really important step. Now, once the kids start thinking about themselves as individuals, then we can move out one more layer. We can talk about the things that are different between them and other people. An obvious one is skin colour. And even if you don't have any different cultures or skin tones represented in your care group, 
you can still show and talk about them. One activity I really like is using beans in a sensory bin with cards that have pictures of kids with different skin tones. You can buy dried beans in a bunch of different colours and apart from just hunting out the pictures in the sensory bin and talking about those colours, you can sort the different coloured beans as an extension activity. The important part is making sure the kids get that it doesn't matter what colour your skin is. Little kids aren't naturally racist or prejudiced. Those are learned behaviours. I can't tell you how much pain and trouble you'll save your kids by making sure what they learn about race and skin colour is positive. You can use the skin colour cards to look at both the colour of each child's skin and that of their friends or of other pictures of people. Be careful to always use positive words when describing a child's skin colour, especially if it's different to yours. Even with the right intentions, it can be easy to miss your own value judgments, so maybe take a minute to clarify your own thoughts on this before you start. Have you ever been called a name based on the colour of your skin? If you're a white, middle-class educator like me, then probably not. But if you're from an Indigenous culture or from another country to your kids, then you probably have. If we're going to teach kids how to treat each other with kindness and respect, we need to come from a place of kindness ourselves. If you have kids from other cultures in your group, try asking their families about how they would like you to refer to their culture and characteristics. Apart from that being a kind and respectful thing to do, which is obviously your main priority, doing that also contributes to diversity and family input outcomes for your documentation. So now we've helped kids understand that they matter. At the same time though, we need to be teaching them that other people matter just as much. We're not trying to build a little group of narcissists here. Yes, you're important, but so is everyone else. Your feelings are important, but so are those of others. Kids at this age are really egocentric. They can't yet see things from other people's points of view which is why they sometimes struggle with things like sharing or hurting each other from rough play or deliberately, and why they fight over minor things. Teaching them about their own feelings and place in the world helps them realise that others have the same feelings and ideas too. Learning to consider others doesn't happen easily. It takes lots of practice and modelling from patient families and educators. Parents often ask me about how they can stop their child from hitting or biting another child, for example, or why they can't understand that they shouldn't hurt others. And I always guide them back to the fact that little humans get better with practice. They need to practice being kind and practice using their words instead of their hands. And actually, just this week, I met a new little guy who has started biting other kids. And we've had to have several talks about how biting hurts and our friends don't like it. Biting is really not okay, and it's one of those issues where everyone feels upset. Parents can be embarrassed when their child bites someone, and defensive when their child is the one bitten. It can help to remind them that biting and other unpleasant behaviours like that are very normal at that age, and that it's something we can guide them through, but we need to keep reminding them that the other kids don't like it, and it hurts. They don't necessarily get that. The more work we do to help them learn about their own feelings and those of others, the faster it'll happen. Also, they need to develop a good vocabulary to describe their feelings. They need access to words that explain and describe what their minds and bodies feel like when they're experiencing them. 
To get an idea what I mean, think about something that makes you feel really good, like being told you've won something or being complimented on something you've worked really hard on. Pay attention to where you feel it in your body and think about how you could express that without using words. Now try thinking about something that makes you really mad. How well could you express that without words? And I mean, let's face it, some of us still struggle with it as a grown-up. What we can do to help is teach kids words for what they're feeling and also what their feelings look like on the outside. Start out by showing them pictures of faces expressing a range of emotions. They don't have to be real faces. Cartoon faces or or drawn ones can be good because they have exaggerated features, which really helps kids see what's going on. I use some feeling cards in a sensory bin to anchor their learning in a physical way. The kids dig in the sensory bin for the cards, look at the ones they find and try to identify or name the feelings they see. It's a great way to build in some feelings vocabulary. It's not a set and forget type of activity. I mean, it it can be, but your kids will miss out on a big learning opportunity if you don't engage with them while they're talking. Your participation can help by identifying feelings if they can't and by explaining them in a different way so they can understand or by adding a perspective that they can't yet see, maybe by giving an example or demonstrating an expression for them. Then to extend the learning, have those kids copy the faces they see in the mirror. Ask them to make a sad face, a happy face, an angry face, etc. Once they understand that, get them to make faces to match particular situations. For example, have them show you how their face would look if someone took their favourite toy away, or how it would look if someone gave them an ice cream. What we're doing is matching those inner sensations with their corresponding outer expressions. And more importantly, we're giving them the right words to describe them. They need to learn how frustrated looks and feels, how angry looks and feels, how excited looks and feels. By tying the body sensations they feel to words, They can start expressing these feelings verbally instead of physically and you'll hopefully see a decrease in behaviour issues. There are lots of other ways to help kids learn about feelings. I like to use puppets because it lets kids step outside themselves and take on a role. This is a great way to express things while still feeling safe. I have a set of printable feelings puppets that are great practice for identifying and describing feelings. You can glue these onto paddle pop sticks and use them as they are, or you can add them to block corner, the sand pit, or make a puppet stage from a cardboard box. They're great fun. And if you get a chance, sit close by and listen to the language the kids use. Puppets bring out kids' feelings and ideas, and they often get so into the play that they forget any shyness or inhibitions they might have. It really brings them out of their shells. The key thing to remember through all this, though, is that they're little kids. Learning about feelings is actually really hard and it takes time. Enlist the help of your kids' families. Let them know what you're working on and tell them the words you're using. This could be as simple as having a vocab column in your program that's visible to families or making a post on whichever digital platform you use or by putting up posters in your playroom. With my little biting friend, for example, I explained to his dad that we were saying to him, biting hurts and your friends don't like it. 
That way his parents can choose to use the same words at home if they want, or at least they know how we're managing things with him. And families in this way obviously really matter. They're where your kids come from. They're the social structure that hopefully supports and nurtures them. It's not always true, but in the majority of cases, their family is a child's first safe place. We want to build on that and reinforce that bond as much as we can. We can start that by teaching kids that their family is unique and special, no matter what they look like. Our society incorporates a wide range of family compositions. Kids might have just a mum, just a dad, a mum and a dad, two mums, two dads, step parents, grandparents fulfilling the role of parents, or foster parents. There's lots of different family structures. And kids who have a family that's different to those of their friends might be uncertain about how they fit in. We can help them understand that it doesn't matter who is part of your family, as long as you have someone who loves and cares for you. A nice way to explore family structures is by making representations of family members. You can encourage kids to draw their family members. You can stick photos or pictures of different family members on blocks in your lot corner. You can make puppets with a range of people so kids can construct or represent their own family members. You can ask them what they call each of the people who are in their family and show that you accept them regardless. Watching kids engage in these type of activities also gives you a window into their feelings and is a good opportunity for teaching vocab about families, feelings and the home environment. If you have kids who speak English as their second language, you can ask what they call their family members. You can learn greetings in a child's home language to show that you respect and appreciate their cultural background. All of your kids will learn by watching and listening how you interact with them and their families. It would be nice to make a poster of a variety of greetings in different languages together and learn how to greet each other with them. I had a warm fuzzy moment one day when I overheard one of my kids say to a friend, Yuridu Marang, which is a greeting from our local Aboriginal people, the Wiradjuri. There's a link in the show notes for some posters I've made which have room to add photos of kids from your group for each language that they may speak, or you can make your own. It's a nice way to make kids who speak a second language feel seen and respected. Well, that's about it for today. I hope you've learned some new things. Uh, Please subscribe if you'd like to hear more about early childhood education in the future. It really helps to get this podcast out there. Thanks so much for being here and I'll talk to you again soon. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Backyard Teacher Podcast. If you enjoyed it, please take a moment to leave a quick review. That tells the powers that be that my podcast is worth listening to so they'll put it in front of more educators. Remember to subscribe so you don't miss out on the next episode. Then pop over to the Backyard Teacher blog for more ideas, tips and freebies to help you be the best educator you can be. Have a good one.